My name is Sherry Rice, and I am CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Today we are talking about physician burnout and physician suicide with Dr. Quinn Polly, a local family practice physician and the president of the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition. Welcome, Dr. Polly. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here, and this is not a subject that's talked about um, much. What got you involved with this, and why do you think now we're talking about physician burnout and suicide? So, as a practicing physician, you know, every you know journal I would open and every email I would open seemed to be talking about physician burnout and uh, and the high rates of physician suicide. Um, and it, so it felt like I was just getting hit over the head with it. So finally, I said, I go, I just didn't feel ethically able to go on without actually trying to investigate and find out a little bit more about it. And um, fortunately, there were some other um, colleagues of mine who felt the same way. And we all put our heads together and said that uh, we wanted to create something in Nevada to see if we could address this, stem the tide, and see if we could make a difference for our, our local physicians. Well, here in Nevada, do we have a high rate of physician suicide? So it's a good question. Um, I don't know of any kind of state-by-state state per capita record of, you know, does Nevada have more physician suicides than the next? Um, we don't have the least, I will tell you that. We've unfortunately had several uh, uh, physician suicides in our catchment area, um, including um, as recently as, as December of uh, 18. So um, one of the things we want to do as part of the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition is to do a survey uh, and uh, talk to uh, physicians, local practicing physicians about, you know, their state of wellness or unwellness. And um, but uh, on average, there's about one physician. And by, when I say physician, I mean MDs and DOs. Uh, those are the, the practicing physicians. Um, there's about one physician suicide in the United States every single day. It's actually more than one a day. But um, And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse. So uh, just by that math, I'd say we're worse than the average if you just say the number that we've had lately. So let's talk about the phrase burnout. And that's talked about in our society a lot. We get burnt out. Talk about it in respect to a physician because patients think that their physician is invincible. They're supposed to be invincible. Right. Um, yeah, so um, I actually have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the word burnout. Um, you know, when, when I first heard it was kind of being used as the industry standard to discuss this kind of what I call the work-related mental health disorder of uh, physicians. Um, it just seemed almost too coy to kind of like, you know, slang, if you will. Um, but it was just in this last week, I think, the World Health Organization now recognizes burnout as a medical diagnosis, not just for physicians, but actually an ICD-10 kind really of coded uh, uh, diagnosis. So, so I think we're stuck with the word. Um, um, the uh, our. Our dean at the medical school, Dr. Uh, Thomas Schwank, uh, who, who's very passionate about physician and uh, med student uh, um, 
mental health and health and burnout. Um, he likes the word misery, <laughs> physician misery. Um, and I gave you my term earlier, the, the work-related um, mental health disorders of physicians. So, um, but, uh, you know, I think... Um, I think it, there's always been an element of it. I think physicians think they're invincible too. Um, you know, if you ask, uh, if you study um, medical students that are pre-med, you know, before they actually get into medical school, they have, uh, they're in the top quartile in terms of uh, um, emotional IQ, uh, in terms of, you know, giving back and wanting to help other people. And even just by the time they get through their third or fourth year of medical school, they're in the bottom quartile. So, so part of it is the way we really ask these kids to, you know, kind of drop everything. And all they do is, is, you know, study and work to get to, uh, to get to become a physician. Well, let's talk about the system then, because was it easier, and I'm not even sure what I mean by easier, to be a physician 25 or 50 years ago? Was there less stress? And what's happened to the medical system, to the healthcare system that would cause that kind of stress? Yeah. So good question. Um, I've been in practice for almost 30 years, so I've kind of lived through that. Um you know, I, I think there's new challenges now that weren't there before. Um, and uh, But I think there was always part of that. Ph physicians are notorious for not having good work-life balance. We work long hours. Um, we tend to take our work home with us. You know, we're always thinking about, you know, the patients we see. And um, But, uh, you know, now... And, and I'm not trying to say that, that the physicians um, in the past uh, didn't work super hard because a lot of them are burned out even now in retirement. And, and as they get closer, I, I kind of do an informal poll when I meet uh, physicians. And uh, um, I can't tell you the number I've met that are just kind of just hanging on till they retire and and just they know it's uh, they're burned out. But um, so um, but, now, you know. There, there's not just one thing. People ask me all the time, you know, why are doc doctors more burned out and suffering now than before? And I don't think you can put your finger on one thing. Uh, uh, the top of the list always seems to be the electronic medical record, the, right. the new way of charting that uh, um, we hoped would make life easier for doctors and make, you know, not having to use a paper chart. Um, as it turns out, um, they're all very complicated. Must, much, if not most, of what we do every time we meet a patient doesn't have anything to do with patient care, and uh, doctors feel like they're glorified data entry people. Well, I know that quite a few of patients complain that they don't get to spend enough time with their doc. I mean, that that's not something... That's something you hear and you read about that the patient says, I don't get any quality time with my doc. Yeah, and that's very true. Um, the, the elephant in the room in, in that one, I think, is there's not enough doctors. Um, in Nevada in particular, I think we're either 47th, 8th, or 9th in the country in terms of fewest doctors per capita. Um, in Las Vegas, it's horrible in terms of how few doctors they have. And so... I say it all the time, you know, guess who's fixing the doctor shortage problem in Nevada? 
the doctors. We, you know, none of us go home until everyone's seen. Um, and uh, so, you know, the doctors are working longer hours. They're asked to see more patients per hour to, to fit everyone in. Um, and, uh, and then if you're spending half the time clicking on a computer, so the patient's either staring at you, staring at a computer, or, right. or um, staring at the back of your head. So, so that definitely has taken away from the eye-to-eye contact and the, the compassion and the, um, you know, what we all went into medical school for was to, uh, to you know, help patients and, and connect with them. So um, it, that's a topic unto itself, the whole electronic medical record. But, yeah, there's just not enough doctors. And um, unfortunately, with our population getting older and getting uh, more of us, um, it looks like the, the problem's only going to get worse. Don't quote Oh, go ahead. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have Dr. John Pakamon from the School of Medicine who uh, publishes a report every year on the physician shortage. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because we're going to do a whole podcast on physician shortage and what's happening in the state of Nevada. But you're absolutely right. Nevada is in a crisis situation, especially on primary care, but also on some some specialties. But there's just not enough primary care docs to go around for the number of people that need it. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, even uh, some of the specialties where there may be enough, um, you know, for the size of the, you know, Vegas and Reno, um, if you don't have enough primary care doctors, the specialists aren't going to be busy enough. Um, you know, no one just walks into a neurosurgeon's office and says, I, you know, I think I have a tumor on my brain. You know, you have to actually be in the system and have a primary care doc and, you know, have a symptom and work it up and then get referred. So um, what ends up happening is the emergency rooms and the urgent cares are now um, acting as primary care, which isn't very efficient. It's not what they were set up for as, uh, you know, they're more deal with an acute problem and send you back to your primary care. Well, if you don't have primary care. So so that's a big issue and um, one that, you know, our physician coalition would love to address, um, but it, it, it's complicated. Well, uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the change in primary care in the sense that a single primary care physician, it's more challenging these days to have their own private practice, that so many are going into a hospital system. Has that changed the dynamics for physicians? Has that added more stress or yeah. taken away stress? Yeah. So I, I can talk to that topic because I've been um, uh, an employed physician and I've also spent 10 some odd years as a solo private practice uh, primary care doc uh, in town. Um, so e each each um, model has its challenges. Um, you know, when I was in private practice, you know, I loved my autonomy and, you know, I was my own boss, but I was also there till midnight sometimes, you know, doing the non-medical stuff, you know, running a business, if you will. Um, so there's, there's definitely a, a trade-off there. Um, it is becoming more and more difficult for um, solo or small group uh, primary care offices to, to stay afloat um, in, in private practice. Basically, um, you know, 
we're all held to the same standard of documentation and, um, you know, the insurance companies and Medicare require all these um, things I won't get into in terms of, you know, justifying the, the level of service that you're providing and, and, you know, that you're doing a good job. And so, so the, you know, the, uh, you know, the one person show primary care doc is held to the exact same standard that a huge hospital system would be held to. Um, and it's just difficult to, uh, to meet all those um, requirements. A, a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Brett Fry, he's an ER doc here in town, and, and he's on our um, our executive team for the uh, Physician Wellness Coalition. He's always referring to, we keep getting more rocks put into our backpack, um, but, um, but no one ever takes any rocks out uh, in terms of our responsibilities. So, um, but then as, a, as an employed physician, um, yeah, I mean, um, a lot of then other people are doing all that some of that bureaucracy, but then you you have less autonomy. You don't have as much control over your um, your day to day and and so forth. So so they each have their challenges, but more and more statistically, more and more docs are becoming employed as opposed to being self employed. So this is a little off topic, Dr. Polly, but. Medicare for All, which I will be doing a podcast on that probably um, in about four or five weeks. But Medicare for All, it seems to me, would be, again, a real loss of autonomy for a physician. What? Uh, how do you feel about Medicare for All? And would that help a physician to be less burnt out? Yeah. So it's a good question. I don't think everyone's definition of Medicare for all is the same. Um, you know, Medicare is typically the the government-provided insurance for folks after 65, although there are exceptions where you could be younger than that and have a disability and be on Medicare. Um, and, um, you know, it's pretty low out of pocket in terms of uh, the cost for for everyone, and and you're basically assigned to that when you hit 65, no matter what. I mean, I think our Congress can has their own insurance that goes that goes for the entire life, and there are some other public employees, but for the most part, when you turn 65, you're doing that. So if you're basically saying, do we want socialized medicine? Do you want the government to be your um, mandatory insurance agent from birth to grave, um, you know, that that's what, when I think of Medicare for all, that's what I think of. It's just kind of a euphemism for should we be converting the United States to a socialized um, healthcare system like Canada and England and sure. a lot we, of other countries in the world. Do we have any idea whether their burnout rate and suicide rate is less in a country that has socialized medicine? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to that okay. off the top of my head. It's not, there's no country that's immune. Right. Um, uh, I have colleagues that trained in Europe that now live here. And, you know, at least anecdotally, they tell me that it's not any better there uh, in terms of suicide rates for medical students, residents, physicians. And and so, uh, unfortunately, this is a, a global epidemic. Well, let's go back for a minute to medical school. Do you know, is this a topic that's discussed in medical school, physician burnout, suicide? Yeah. So I think um, kind of like I was saying that I'd more recently become aware of how, how bad it was. Um, I think the, the medical, uh, medical schools are doing a great job of addressing it and, and talking about it and having, um, you know, interest groups and having it become part of the, uh, the curriculum and, uh, again, uh, 
shout out to our medical school, which is my alma mater as well up at here on at UNR. Um, that uh, yeah, they are definitely addressing it and. Um, Again, it's complicated. You know, the the med the medical schools are held to a standard. You know, you have to teach this much stuff in four years, and uh, there's really no getting around that that I'm aware of. But hopefully, being able to do it in a, a kinder, gentler manner, so that um, so that kids, when they finish medical school, and then have between three and uh, ten years of postgraduate training before they actually get into medical practice, they're not already burned out by the time uh, by the time they reach the workforce, which is a real problem. Um, the um, again, don't quote me on this, but the number two or three cause of of death among resident physicians, again, physicians that have graduated from medical school and now they're doing their postgraduate training, is suicide. Only behind trauma, which is uh, you know if you get in a car accident or something, but. Um, and uh, so, so it's no by no means a practicing after you've been in practice for twenty years phenomenon. It's 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 right from the get go. Well, you said it a few minutes ago when you said work life balance. I mean, that's something that everyone could figure out and and learn from. I mean, it almost seems like it should be a high school course and then another college course, but especially for physicians, because I can't even imagine what it must be like for a physician who on a daily basis has to look at that patient and do what is right for them so that they don't get any worse. I mean, I, it just seems to me that it would be an enormous amount of stress, and especially with patients that are chronically ill. Do you feel that the, the increase in chronic disease has added to the stress of physicians? That's another good question. Um, well, there's no doubt that the overall health of our citizenry in the United States is getting worse. Um, and uh, you can invite me back to talk, talk about that topic. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, we spend more per capita than any other country by a long shot. I think we're almost to $12,000 per man, woman, child in the United States that uh, are spent on health care. And I think the next one is like four or $5,000 per year less than that. So you would think, hey, we must be the healthiest country on the planet, right? We spend more. Well, I think we're like 37th in terms of overall health metrics as to how healthy we are to compare to other countries. And we're 26th or 27th in longevity. So if nothing else, we're not getting what we're paying for. Um, and if you're if we're going to call ourselves a health system, well, it would think that we should be healthy, right? And uh, so, so there's a lot of inefficiencies, and um, it, it's that's also very complicated. But, uh, but yeah, so the chronic disease burden in the United States is getting worse and worse and worse. Well, and it must be stressful for a physician when their patient, um, in essence, won't do what they say. When the patient, when you know that it would lower their A1C level and their di their type 2 diabetes would get better if they did this or did that or their blood pressure. And then they come back time and time again and they haven't taken the steps for themselves. Right. Um, yeah. What does the doc do with that? <laughs> right. Well, um, I, I deal with that every day. Um, so... The um, I think there's a lot of mixed messages out there. The, the other thing I'm passionate 
passionate about besides uh, physician wellness is lifestyle. I, I'm the current treasurer of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, um, and uh, which is the fastest growing field of medicine, by the way. Um, but yeah, that's what we're trying to deal with is, you know, what is what is the chasm between what we know what constitutes a healthy lifestyle and getting people to actually do it? That, 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 uh, um, huge canyon between the two is what keeps me going every day. Um, and I, again, I think there's a lot of mixed messages. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that the best diet on the planet is a whole food plant-based diet, which we can get into, but basically eating real food, not processed food and have most of the calories you eat come from plants as opposed to animals, not a hundred percent, but close mm -hmm. people that eat like that live longer than everybody else. Um, and, um, but you know, anyone can publish a book saying, oh, this is the best diet on the planet. And you go to Barnes and Nobles or whatever bookstore and sure enough, there's, there's, you know, dozens and hundreds of books. So, so I think there's a lot of mixed messages. I, I think there's mixed messages among physicians as to what constitutes a healthy lifestyle. And back to what you're saying, if I only got five minutes with a patient and That's it true. takes me an hour to really explain to him what a healthy diet and exercise and stress mm -hmm. and love and don't smoke and take drugs and, mm -hmm. and, um, um, exercise, it's just not going to happen. It's right. just, you know, and then, then do this, the words coming out of your physician's mouth actually change your behavior for the rest of your life. You know, we call them lifestyle changes, not temporary style changes. And, uh, probably not. Um, you know, it, the, the science behind what enables people to change their behavior is very complex and we don't even have all the answers um and uh and it, you know it's like uh, i always say it's like a, asking a heroin addict to work in a poppy field you know i tell them hey you know this is how i want you to sleep better and exercise more and then they walk out in the real world and there's you know unhealthy choices all over the place that are contradicting what I just told them to do. And, uh, and it's, it's hard. So I, I don't play the blame game. I don't blame the patient for, for having difficulty. I mean, I'm, I have changes I could make. I'm by no means perfect. And, um, just living in the United States is, is tough to, to maintain a really healthy lifestyle. Yeah, we have, so, there's so many parameters to that discussion, which we'll be doing another podcast on. Uh, it's about, your income level. It's about your ability to get fresh fruits and vegetables. It's about your ability to get to the store. There's so many things that work into that issue of lifestyle change and what yeah. that looks like for somebody. We have such a high poverty level yeah. in the United States, and there are many parameters to that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the, the poorer you are in the United States, the more likely you are to be obese. Yes. And when I first heard that, I'm like, how is that possible? Well, the least expensive foods are also the ones that are worse for you and, you know, um, make you more likely to gain unhealthy weight. Um, you know, the ultra processed foods. I just read a stat that close to 60% of all calories consumed in the United States every single day aren't just from processed foods. They're from ultra processed foods. The ones where you look at the ingredients and you can't even pronounce what's in it. Right. Um, um, I'll remember the physicians. Oh, Michael Pollan, uh, an author, um, he describes them as edible food-like substances, but they're not, they're not food. Uh, they just kind of mimic food. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want my patients to eat 
I want them to eat zero percent ultra right. processed foods, and right. that so there's just another uphill battle. If sixty percent of everything that's going over people's lips every day is the wrong you stuff bet. by a long shot, that's another uphill battle that we got to overcome. So physician burnout. If we did a wheel, it would have many spokes on it. It, it would, would have uh, their own work life balance. It would be. Do they have a single practice? Are they with a hospital, EMR systems? It would have patient load in it. It would have patients' uh, compliance. It would have a whole lot of spokes on this wheel. So let's talk about what can be done about this. Let's take it first from the patient level, if you don't mind. There may be some patients of physicians that end up listening to this podcast. What would they say to their physician yeah. the next time they visit them? Yeah. So... Um it's. I would. I would hope that um, you know. It's a. It's a two-way street. Um, that uh, you know that patients are kinder, gentler to their doctor, and and vice versa. Um, uh, you know, one of the big. What um, would be kinder, gentler? Um, well, I was going to use the example. I mean, the emergency room, as I told you, is now being used a lot for for primary care. And, um, you know, obviously if someone's in pain and, and, and so forth, but, um, you know, I do think there's been some deterioration of the um, um, kind of mutual doctor-patient relationship um, status and, um, you know, demanding of, of medications and, and this whole narcotics and opioid epidemic that we have. Um, but, but I also don't expect, you know, a patient to walk in and say, you know, hi, doc, are you burned out? What can I do to help you, so to speak? Um, although maybe some, some version of that may not be a bad idea. Um, well, you brought up patients' demands. That's interesting because in this age, of course, of the Internet and everything that somebody can learn, uh, I know people say the worst thing you can do is look up some disease you think you have on the Internet because by the time you're finished reading it, you know you have it. Uh, or the in my lifetime, I've seen the advent of drug commercials on TV. I mean, now they're telling you if you have this disease, ask your doc for this. Right, right. Yeah, I don't like any of that. <laughs> Um, as a as a practicing physician, uh, I mean, we all want our patients to be informed and and so forth. But um, you know, we all went to medical school for a reason. It's complicated, you know, and um, you know, we're all staying up to date, you know, with our continuing education as physicians. Um, and uh, but but back kind of back to what I was saying. I mean that mutual respect and, and uh, you know, getting to know your doctor so that if you, if you present with a symptom and then he knows you from before, he or she knows you from before, they'll go, hmm, maybe those two are related or knowing your family history and so forth. And, um, but yeah, some of that direct to consumer advertising, um, I think, hurts the situation, doesn't make it better. So, again, a patient who hears this, would it be inappropriate for them to come in and say to their doc, I was listening to this podcast on physician burnout. Are you burnt out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be okay. Um, the uh, So physicians are, I can say this because I'm one of them, you know, we're, we're can be odd. Um, and, you know, the 
the things that it takes to get to, you know, actually being able to practice are, are very demanding. And um, you have to be very book smart and know how to study through our typical Jeffersonian education system, but then also be expected to be very compassionate and, and be able to find people where they're at and communicate them with them on that level. And... Um, and also, like I said, we think we're Teflon. We think we're, we're, you know, gosh, how could we possibly get sick? We're the healers. We don't need our own healing. So physicians uh, are horrible at admitting they have a problem, and either to themselves or to the to the um, uh, to their staff or their patients. And uh, um, I, again, I've got some very sad examples of physicians who their first sign that there was a problem was after they've killed themselves. Right. Um, so we we know what the symptoms of depression and uh, and you know mental health disorders are so we know what to hide um and we're worried that if we say something that um you know our medical licensing board will find out and uh, um or that our employer will find out and take our job away and then you know if you really want me to be burned out you know have me as the sole breadwinner and maybe not have a job that you know so so <laughs> I'm well, I think that's all one of the reasons you formed the coalition. Yeah. Because having been involved with the coalition pretty much since its inception with you, I know that it uh, that sort of um, confidentiality is a, very important in the coalition and physicians talking to physicians. Right. And when, when I first got into this space a couple of years ago, I, I went to a, the American Conference on Physician Health in San Francisco in 2017. And this was where, you know, all the leading, at least institutional minds on the subject were there. And a subject that kept coming up and up again was, um, you know, when we tried to study this problem in the past and just do surveys of, of you know, how well or unwell uh, physicians might be doing, um, when the entity asking the questions was your was your employer or it was in some way um, even perceived as being in control of your ability to practice, doctors don't even tell the truth on those surveys. You know, we, we make it sound much better than it, than it really is. And that really struck a chord with me that, you know, if we were going to start some, some new thing here in, in Nevada, that we were going to be Switzerland. We were going to be completely independent, um, have no, um, you know, nothing more than a long arm's length relationship with uh, um, our stakeholders and um, so forth, the, the medical systems and the licensing board, just so that we could get honest answers from people and that people would actually really um, feel safe reaching out to us for advice and resources uh, where they may not otherwise. And um, so one of the first things we did, or, well, we have done it, but one of the, from, right from the get-go, we wanted to have a, a physician and physician family resource line that um, we staff now with uh, uh, a couple fantastic psychologists here in town um, that um, will answer docs calls and and families of doctors uh, that call that are worried about their their um, mother father husband wife that's maybe struggling with uh, um, burnout issues depression substance abuse and have it be a safe confidential place where they can call and have no um, 
concern of, of reprisal, if you will. Um, and um, so we, we've just recently launched that. I can give you the phone number if you want. That if, would be yeah. fabulous. So, uh, yeah, so it's, again, it's called the Physician and Family Resource Line, specifically for doctors, MDs, DOs, uh, their family members, their, you know, Higher staff that are, are concerned if, uh, and it's 775-404-3307 and um, it's, it's, uh, it's up and running and um, um, with this uh, physician suicide unfortunately that we had in, um, in uh, at Tahoe over uh, in December, um, we we that was kind of the first place we rolled out that that right. resource line, and um, we had several several people call and and ask for advice and and resources and so forth. And uh, as president of the coalition, when I first heard that, I'm like. Our job here is done. You know, if if we do nothing else besides have this resource line, um, I I would feel like this is a win. So so that was very um, um, affirmative uh, for me to say that we knew. So we actually have something that uh, wasn't here before, and um, so um, it, we're just starting that up. It, we haven't really marketed it other than our our website, which is NevadaPhysicianWellnessCoalition.com, just all spelled out. Um, where you can find a lot of resources too. So we are working on other things that if we have time, I'd like to talk to you about, but that resource line has been a big uh, plus for us. Yes, I know it has. It's fabulous. Let me go back a little bit, and and before we um, we end the podcast, we will talk a little bit more about the coalition and remind people of that phone number. But let's talk about how this is a community issue and what some other entities in the community can do to support not only what you're doing, but also maybe to change the system. What would you like hospitals to do? Um, so we, we have a great relationship with all the hospitals in town. Um, and, and I keep saying town. We started off as the Northern Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition, but now we've our strategic plan is to incorporate the entire state. Um, so we have more experience up here. Um, but uh, no, I, I think I think they're already doing a great job. You know, they've been very supportive of us so far. Um, they don't feel like we're stepping on their toes. You know, they want their physicians to be as healthy as we do. Right. And, I'm talking uh, a little bit more about their system, Dr. Pauling. You know, that's a that's a really good question. And I, 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 I'm not avoiding it. I'm just you're you're kind of back to, you know, what's the one thing? You know, fix the fix this EMR, fix the workload. We need we need more research. We need to know what is is there anything unique in Nevada that's causing more burnout than a different state that might have other problems. Um, the um, is is it the just the shortage of docs and and so forth? So um, you know they're all basically using an electronic health record of some sort, um, and that that industry is not going to change anytime soon. Um, so, uh, so, so I, honestly, I think you know, keeping keeping an open mind, um, being supportive of our type of efforts, which again, hopefully, will um, engender more people to actually reach out for uh, for help, and um, the. Um, and I, I think just addressing it, being aware of it, and, and, and maybe even, you know, kind of uh, looking at their own institution and finding out what the, what the biggest root causes may be. 
And what about insurance companies? We haven't mentioned them in this podcast yet. What, how do they, how could they support uh, less burnout in physicians? Yeah. So uh, myself and, and my colleagues, we consider, you know, physician unwellness to be a community health problem. You know, it, the the statistics now are that, um, you know, 50% of physicians are suffering from at least some symptoms of burnout. And, you know, burned out physicians are less efficient, more likely to make mistakes, less likely to recommend um, medicine for their kids or their, or their friends. Um, so if you consider that, you know, in essence, half the doctor visits every day are being administered by uh, by uh, someone that's having symptoms of burned out. Um, then how could the how could you expect good care to be delivered to our community? So so I, I definitely see this as a public health issue or maybe even crisis, as opposed to just you know woe is me doctors are suffering. Um, so I, I think um, you know physician or insurance companies make a lot of money. Well, and they deny service. Um, yeah, well, they do that too. Um, so you know, they're they are reaping the benefits. I mean, if you just look at statistically some of these big health systems and um, insurance systems, they're they're not they're not doing poorly. They're doing really well, even though the the entire medical system may not be. So I would I would encourage them to um, you know devote some of these resources that they have to addressing the problem. It, it'd be good for business. You know, if, if physicians uh, were um, healthier, then they're going to deliver less, ca- or better care. And, you know, the insurance companies won't have to pay out um, claims to when people are sick. You know, I mean, we're, we're kind of uh, grandiose kind of looking at the big picture here. But, um, yeah, I, w- I would love for them to be a part of the solution and not necessarily a part of the problem. Well, and a part of the conversation. I mean, it seems like it would be fabulous to get, uh, and I know you've gotten quite a few people into the room to talk about it, but the insurance companies, the hospitals, the medical school, the physicians, I know that's what you're aiming at is getting a dialogue that is continual and that includes the people that can impact what's happening in our healthcare system. Right. No, I would, we, we've, um, again, we're just getting started. Um, we, um, we're a 501c3 and access to healthcare has been very kind and, and letting us utilize their, um, their infrastructure. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still kind of running on a shoestring and, um, Again, the, the all the health systems uh, have been generous in, helps, in terms of helping us with some um, finances to get some of these uh, um, events off that we've done in the resource line, and now we have some staff. But uh, yeah, I mean, how great would it be for the malpractice insurance carriers to, to help us out and uh, um, knowing that it's in their best interest, you know, so that malpractice uh, claims go down because less mistakes are made. And, uh, and yeah, the health insurance uh, um, industry to help, uh, um, you know, fund some of our efforts to uh, to try and make um, a difference in physicians' lives because it's just the right thing to do. It's good for the community. So uh, part of that's on us. We, we haven't quite gotten to the stage of, of having, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, 
fundraising campaign or, or development um, yet because we've been just kind of wanted to get one thing started with this resource line. And, and we have actually had some really um, uh, great events uh, over the last six to eight months of, of raising awareness. And um, But yeah, just no longer having physician burnout and doctors not doing well be a taboo. You know, have it be, hey, you know, we're not Teflon. We're just as vulnerable to um, having stressors affect us as, as anyone else, maybe more so because the stressors we're dealing with at work are people's lives, you know, and and uh, it's, it's a huge responsibility. And uh, it just begs to reason that, you know, it's going to it can have an effect on the person delivering the care. Well, tell me of the events or the things that you would like to do in the rest of of 2019. Yeah. What what do you see for the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition to the end of 2019 and into 2020? Yeah. So we haven't really talked about it, but um, we do. We've just um, submitted an application for a grant to do a statewide research project to uh, again vying on our independence and our, our confidentiality that uh, um, to administer a survey to practicing physicians in the state of Nevada and we're, our audacious goal is to try and get 25% of them to actually fill it out and hoping they'll fill it out truthfully because um, we'll, uh, we've created this reputation of, uh, of safety in our organization to really find out how bad is it or how hopefully how good it is, but, you know, just find out what the true state of, uh, of uh, physician health is in Nevada and, um, and then try to implement um, events and programming such that we can uh, address it um, and then do a second survey to see if some of the of some of the um, programming we've done has actually made a difference in turning this this battleship around um, and uh, so so the research is, is a big deal um, we've had these very successful roundtable events where we've gone to, to uh, each hospital and and had a, um, uh, a group of speakers there and talking about it but very much a, an open in dialogue and uh, so we're, there's several hospitals that we haven't reached out to yet uh, that we're, we're now scheduling to do um, we want to have some uh, workshops where uh, physicians and their significant others can come and do some um, hands-on, you know, half-day kind of retreats to uh, to work on, you know, stuff that they're suffering from now um, uh, to, you know, improve their situation. And then, you know, the uphill stuff, you know, why, you know, what's happening before we finish medical school and residency and early in our careers that's, that's you know, contributing to why physicians are uh, suffering and dealing with those. Because if, if we're just kind of mopping up the mess after it's already happened, but we're never turning off the faucet upstream, that, that, that's going to make for a long, uh, a long uh, battle at this as well. So, um, and then again, re, you know, Vegas is a big deal. They, they, they suffer from a lot different problems than we do just because they have such a huge physician shortage down there. So trying to get our footprint down there and getting a group of physicians and, and other um, um, stakeholders down there to address this as well. So I, I think between, you know, the resource line, the research, um, having some, you know, additional speakers in these roundtable events and some actual workshops, mini retreats, like I say, that's going to keep us busy for the next uh, six to 12 months. Yes, it is. Well, Dr. Polly, I appreciate you coming on today and talking to us about a subject that has been pretty much uh, taboo 
and that we're bringing it out of the shadows and that we're talking about how physicians are real people and they have real stressors and probably a lot more stress than most of us have in our lives. And yet we look at them as somebody who, as you said, is Teflon, that they shouldn't have any problems and that they should be everything for us. So I commend you for bringing that conversation forward. Can you tell us again on the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition how someone can call the hotline? Yeah, so we have a, a physician and physician family resource line, and it's 775-404-3307. Uh, yeah, so even if you're just, you want to find out what your resources are, and if you're not sure how things are going, or if you have a, a physician colleague that you're concerned about, and you don't know how to address it, or you're married or, or a significant other of a, of a physician that you're concerned about, um, you know, we're here to help. And uh, your website, can yeah. you tell us that again? So it's uh, the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition, just all wrote out. We've had shorter ones, but this is the easiest one, I think. So Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition.com and um, just plug it in, Google the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition. Our, our IT team is great, and it'll pop right up. And there will be a number someone can call if they want to get involved or if they'd like to give you a big fat check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, no, you can reach out to us that way. And um, we'd love all the support to help us uh, raise, raise awareness on, on this issue. And you know, I know enough to be dangerous, but I, I by no means have um, a, a great strategy on how to address this epidemic. But uh, um, again, I felt compelled. Something had to be done, and uh, um, if we don't start somewhere, it, it'll only get worse. And it uh, it's just something's happened in the last five or six years that's made this whole thing come to just this uh, this head right now. And um, I, I say it that the, the kind of the joy of medicine has come to a screeching halt, and uh, we need to we need to fix that and uh, it's but it's going to take a it's going to take a village it's not just uh, one quick fix uh, uh, so well, I think we could start with a be kind to your doctor day be kind I to your doctor that, day I think I'm, we should put that out there yeah let's uh, let's do that for sure well thank you Dr. Polly uh, Dr. Polly is a local family practice medicine physician he's been in our area for quite a while and he's the president of the Nevada Physician Wellness Coalition thank you so much for being on our podcast and thank you all for listening to this podcast. There will be many more. To find out our next podcast and the topic, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. <laughs>